Begin reading with verse 66 in Psalm 119. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. And then over to Psalm 103. I don't remember how far I'm reading in this. So uh, we'll just keep reading until uh, we run out there. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And then finally over to the book of Acts chapter 14, starting with verse 8 down to verse 18. Now at Lystra... There was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, I tell you, I remember in, uh, in the days, I guess I must be getting old, you know, because I, I, I have a tendency to, to fall into that conversation. I remember when, you know, I, in my day, young man, I had to walk two miles to school each way. 
uphill, through the snow, in the summertime. Uh, you get those kinds of stories. But think about I remember, uh, and it still happens in some places at some times, what we used to call worship wars. And, uh, and there was all this fighting over music that happened, particularly back in the 1960s uh, and, the, and the 1970s, but it was still there in the 1980s, when uh, there were a lot of rock musicians that were getting saved and the major outpouring of the Spirit that was happening during that time, and uh, 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 people like Barry McGuire uh, and, and many others were recording. They started recording uh, Christian music, and they were using drums and guitars in, in a time when, you know, pianos were stretching it quite a bit and organs were, were, were rather, you know, were, that, that was the, the, the staple of church music. And so there were a lot of people, you know, like those demon drums or, or those demon guitars. And, and, oh, that sounds like too much rock and roll. And, and you're playing that music and playing those drums and I, I kind of want to move my feet a little bit. And we all know that that's sin. Uh, we... Uh, uh, I remember we looked at, a, uh, Karen looked at a, a university uh, in, in those college days, uh, and, uh, and they, they were dead set against dancing, you know, so you couldn't have a dance, and they didn't have a school dance, or they did have school dances, but the rule was that as long as you weren't moving your feet, it wasn't dancing. So you could be doing all this kind of stuff, this isn't dancing, but as soon as you start moving your feet, you know, I'm dancing there. And, and they were really against that. And, and there were all these arguments and things like that. And, and the idea was, you know, all this, this music is demonic and it's bad and, you know, and there's only a certain kind of music. And it was so funny because if you go back through history, and I, can't, I can tell you I don't remember this time, but I remember reading some of these things. If you go back through history and you see how one generation has criticized the music of another, you see these patterns repeating time after time after time. Uh, I remember reading an article that was talking about the new Christian music and how the music, new Christian music had lyrics that were shallow. They had uh, tunes that were difficult to sing sometimes, and, and, and at other times they, they were really shallow and they weren't musical enough. Uh, and uh, the new Christian music was uh, causing a deterioration of worship and just criticizing it one thing after another about the new Christian music. And it turns out that that article was written about the year seven, 1745, uh, and it was talking about the hymns of Isaac Watts. And that was the new Christian music. And you know, there was a time when you would never have a piano in worship because pianos were played where? Anybody know? They were played in bars. You know, you've, you've seen those westerns, a saloon where they're playing the piano. I mean, that's demon music. You don't have a piano. And then organs? Oh, you didn't do organs. There was a time when the organ was, was considered a, a demonic uh, a manifestation in, in churches, and you, you'd never play the organ. And so this goes on and on and on and on. And at the root of this is the failure to recognize that music is good. Did you know that? Music is good. Uh, the last I checked, it was God who created music. And if you read the book of Revelation... You see that in the heavenly places, the angels never stop singing. Music's going on all the time. And, and, and just in case you're wondering, it's loud music. It's not soft music. 
music's good. God created music as good. And music it was given by God. And some people think, well, you know, the only proper use of music then is worship. But actually, that's not a biblical perspective. Because, yes, God gave us music for worship. He God, God gave us music for communication. But God gave us music, do you know what? For enjoyment as well. Because it's good. And we need a manifestation in our minds as Christians of God's goodness and that what God does is good. Now, a lot of times we've been talking the last couple of weeks and we can believe that God is good. We can affirm that God is good. We can hold on to the idea that God is good. Uh, I, I love that. It's, it's a little bit trite now, but I, I still, still enjoy it where, where someone says, God is good. Anybody know how to respond? All the time. You got it. All the time. That's right. It's great. You know, who says that liturgy is not alive and well uh, all across the global church? God is good. All the time. I love it because God is good. He is good. And we have to have faith in that and confidence in that. But a lot of times we believe that God is good but we don't necessarily believe that God does good. I see a lot of Christians that live in fear. Oh, what if God asked me to do something that I don't really want to do? Now, I've said many times there was a song that came out back in the 1980s, and uh, I just love the song, and it, it's really stuck with me. Uh, you know, it's a, please don't send me to Africa. I don't think I've got what it takes. I'm just a man. I'm not a Tarzan. Don't like spiders, gorillas, or snakes. I'll serve you here in suburbia in my comfortable middle-class life. But please don't send me out into the bush where the natives are restless at night. And that's the attitude that sometimes we have, that if God would happen to send us on the mission field, that somehow that wouldn't be good. It's going to be miserable. It's going to be unpleasant. And so there are a lot of times where we live just on the edge of this thought that, okay, God is good, but maybe what he's going to do to me is not very good. And, and we're not confident that not only is God good, but that God does good. Yet the testimony of the scripture is absolutely clear. It's just like the psalmist said, Psalm 119, you are good and do good. God is good and God does good. If God is good all the time and all the time, that means not only is he good, but he has to do good. If God is good, but doesn't do good, do you know what that means? It means God's not good. So God is good, and God does good. And that's the testimony of Scripture. And our temptation is to think, okay, well, God is good, and God does good, but God does good only to a certain group of people. You know, so it's the people who are really holy, 
the people who are really serving him, the people who have memorized the Bible, the people who are praying hours a day, the people who are going to church all the time. You know, those are the people that God does good to. Everybody else he kind of ignores. But you see in the Bible, in our passage that we read here today even, that the Scripture's testimony is clear that God does good to everybody. God does good to everybody. Now, that doesn't mean that everything that happens in our lives is good or is God's doing, by the way, but we'll see that as we go on in in looking at the goodness of God. But God is good. God does good to everybody. Notice what Paul says here. He says, okay, you guys, you didn't know. You didn't know him by name. You didn't have the revelation of Jesus. But now I'm showing it to you. This guy has been healed. We're preaching Christ to you. But even though you didn't have this revelation, there is a witness that God has given you. And the witness is that he does good to you. And God's done good to you. He sent the rains in season uh, at the right, at the proper time. He's called, caused the crops to grow. And he has brought good things into your life so that you can have joy, so that you can have gladness of heart. Do you know God is in favor of us having gladness of heart? He wants everybody in the world to have gladness of heart. Whether or not they're Christians. He wants Muslims to have gladness of heart. He wants atheists to have gladness of heart. Uh, He wants agnostics to have gladness of heart. Hindus, Buddhists, uh, uh, Rastafarians, whoever it is. He wants everybody to experience his good. And he's made a way so that everybody in the world can experience good. When we go out into creation... And we see how beautiful it is. And we go, wow, that is just amazing. That's good. And God wants us to experience that. When we're sitting around a meal with friends, God wants people to experience the goodness of that with the understanding that our experience of goodness is a sign that God really is. It's an indicator of God's presence. It's an indicator of God's reality. You know, if God doesn't exist, if you, if you took very, uh, a very brutal evolutionary approach to the reality that we live in, there's no real place for goodness. It's all about the survival of the fittest. And there's no real place for doing good. Why should you do good? If it's about the survival of the fittest, the thing you want to do is make sure that you and your family are the fittest. You know, and if there are children dying in places like Aleppo, then who cares if you have a brutal evolutionary outlook? Because that just means that some of the less fit ones are being erased from the earth. It's less global warming. It's less, less you have to feed, less mouths you have to feed. I mean, that's a really brutal outlook. But if you want to think, oh, nobody could ever think that way, I tell you the 20th century has been littered with despots who really did think that way. You can look at a Stalin, you can look at a Mao Zedong, you can look at a Pol Pot, and you can see examples of people who had a very brutal approach to reality because the idea of goodness was taken away because without God, there's really no genuine concept of goodness. 
And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying this is a witness to God. It should be a witness to every person who experienced goodness that there really is a God. And God does good, and He does good to everyone. He does good to everyone. And we have to believe that. But God also does good especially to His people. Now, as believers, we are favored by God. We're saved by grace through faith. Grace is the undeserved favor of God. That grace is upon us. That favor is upon us. And God has promised to do good to His people. God does good to us. And God wants us to experience His good. Many times people, I've seen Christians take a very sour approach to Christianity. You know, don't want to eat too much. You know, because if I eat any more than I need, then I'm a glutton. And, and the food that I eat, you know, I don't really want to enjoy it too much. Because if I enjoy it too much, then, you know, there's got to be something wrong with me. Uh, or, gosh, you know, the, the idea of sex inside of marriage. You know, well, don't have sex too much. Because you know, that you know, just just enough to procreate. That's all the sex you should have. And there have been Christians that have you know taught that throughout the centuries. Uh, or uh, you know, uh, well, we, we we can't enjoy too much music. You know, or, or too much of the arts, or whatever it is. And there's this attitude that that somehow, if you're a Christian, you have to turn away from everything that is good, and not only morally good, but experientially good. It's, people say we've got to turn away from everything that is experientially good and only do those things that seem to be morally good, somehow thinking that, 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 that it's wrong to experience the goodness of God, to let God do good to us. And a lot of times as Christians, when God starts to do good to us, then what do we do? We get in this, oh God, I'm just, I don't deserve this. Oh, oh God, I, I can't really accept it because you're being too good to me, and I don't really want to take it, and and they're hesitant about it, and and it's a false humility, and it's actually kind of sinful. You know, it's, it's, it's wrong not to take what God offers us. I remember uh, years ago, I was at a Cardinals baseball game, and it was a time when I got something called a clergy pass, uh, which they allowed pastors, you could apply for this, and you got in free to any Cardinals game. It was on a space available basis, but you just show up, you could go and you could take somebody with you. And I used it as a time to take a lot of the young men in my church to games and our elders and other people. And it was a a brilliant time. I just loved that. I did that for about four or five years and and enjoyed it immensely. And I remember I met another pastor and his son uh, there. And one of my favorite things to do after the game was to go to a place called Ted Drew's. Now, Ted Drew's is famous Uh, around the country, and I'd say world famous, but many of you may not have heard it, but after today it will be world famous because you'll know it. Uh, They serve something called frozen custard. Now, frozen custard is not like our custard, you know, where it's hot. And Frozen custard is like ice cream on steroids. It is so rich and so flavorful, and they put different kinds of things in it and make uh, what they call concretes. It's just great. Every time I go back to St. Louis... 
Ted Drews. I, and I don't care if I see family, friends, but if, as long as I'm to Ted Drews, that's okay. If they want to see me, they can meet me there. So we were heading to Ted Drews, and, uh, and I, I told the guy, I said, you know, I, I, I'm going to treat you guys tonight. And he said, no, you're not. I'm going to treat you. I said, no, 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 you can't do that. I, I want to treat you. He said, no, no, I'm going to treat you. I said, no, I'm going to treat you. And he said, he, 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 he turned to me and said, do not rob me of the blessing. Uh, oh, man. Oh, it just cut me to the quick. Okay, you can treat. You can treat. So, so that, that's the thing. That's the key. If you ever want to be in a situation where you want to treat, uh, you just say, Rod, don't rob me of the blessing. Now, because we're more used to doing good to others than receiving good ourselves. And that was the thing. That was the thing. And so often we have that same attitude toward God. Oh, I can't take that. I, I don't want to experience that. I, 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 I would just want to step back from that. Or I'm afraid that if you do a little bit of good for me, you're going to do something that's not so good. And, and I'm, I'm not, I don't know. And we wrestle. We, we go through all of these things. But we have to have the confidence that God does good. And as the, as, as the psalmist said there in Psalm 103, he satisfies you with good things. He satisfies you with good. Do you know that God intends for each believer to satisfy you with good things? There is a satisfaction that comes from experiencing God's goodness. Whether that goodness comes from enjoying a pizza with friends, or whether that goodness comes from traveling the countryside and seeing the beauty of the countryside, uh, or whether that goodness comes from just taking a, a little journey together with a couple of friends, or that goodness comes from seeing children play, or that goodness comes from enjoying your work, or that goodness comes from uh, having fellowship, or that goodness comes from reading the Word, or that goodness comes from experiencing the very presence of God as you worship Him so you get a touch from Him. Whatever goodness there is in your life, God wants to satisfy you with that goodness. God wants you to enjoy His goodness in your life. Doesn't mean that every moment of your life is going to be enjoyable. Doesn't mean that every moment of your life is going to be perceived by you as good. But God wants to satisfy you with good things. And many times what God does in the difficult things of our lives, you know what He's doing? He is trying to prepare us to be satisfied with good things. He's trying to prepare us to be satisfied with good things. And we need to allow Him to prepare us. And sometimes that's discipline. You know, it's, uh, I, I, I enjoy playing the guitar. I, I, there are times when I'm playing and I'm worshiping the Lord that I feel the Lord's pleasure and, and I feel the Lord's joy and satisfaction and that experience is something that I, I, I sense is really, really good and very deeply satisfying. But you know, in order to get to that place, I had to allow calluses to develop on my fingers. And there are times when I haven't played for a while that the calluses come back and it hurts and I've had to practice. And there's been things that I've been tempted not to see as good. And actually, when I was a kid, I didn't see them as good. And tragically, because I didn't see some of those things as good, I didn't practice as hard as I should have, and so I don't experience as much of God's goodness. I'm not satisfied with as much of God's goodness as God would like to give me. <coughs> and so we need to understand 
that God he wants to satisfy us with good things, and many of the things that happen in our lives that are not perceived as good necessarily is actually God working in our lives to prepare us to satisfy us with good things. Because God intends to do good. God is good, and God does good to people generally all around the world, but God also does good to his people. Those people who love him or committed to him, who follow him. And God is determined to satisfy us with good things. God is determined to satisfy us with good things. And we as Christians need to respond in faith to that determination just as much as we respond in faith to the idea that God is good. And just as much as we would respond in faith to Jesus' death and resurrection. And just as much as we'd respond in faith to God's holiness, God's love, God's majesty, God's uh, all-powerfulness, omnipotence, God's omnipresence, he's present everywhere, God's immutability, his unchangingness. All of those things require a response of faith and we need to develop that faith and grow in that faith and embrace that faith and not only in those things but also in that God is good and that God does good and that God is determined to do good to us so that God can prepare us for it And so that when God gives it to us, we're ready to see it. And God's desire, get this, God's desire is that we would have maximum satisfaction in the good that he does to us. God's desire is that you would have maximum satisfaction in the good that he is determined to do for you. The question is, will you respond to that reality in faith? Will you choose to believe it? Because that is an essential step to the people around us, the seven and a half million people who don't know Jesus within 15 miles of us right now. That's an essential step to them responding positively to the faith in Jesus Christ. They need to see a people who not only believe that God is good, but who receive the goodness of the Lord. They need to see a people who know how to embrace the goodness that God does to us so that it achieves maximum satisfaction in our lives. A people who know the goodness of God and who receive the goodness of God will become the most attractive people in the world. And that's God's calling to us. Because ultimately, as God does good to us, as God satisfies us with good things, His determination is that through us, 
to show his goodness to the world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that not only are you a God who is good, you are a God who does good. And Lord, no matter what we're going through, whether or not we're tempted to reject this reality, I pray that as we worship you today, you would stimulate our faith so that we can believe not only that you are good, but also that you are determined to do good, satisfying us with your goodness. So Lord, today we choose not to look at our circumstances. We choose not to look at our perception of what is good and what is not. But we ask that you would shift our perceptions, shift our perspective, let us see your good actions at work in our lives, in our church, all around us, in people around us. And let us become a people who testify to the goodness of all you do, as well as the goodness of who you are. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.